I'm going to get you to stand. We're going to read from the book of Acts for our, our word this morning, for the message from the scriptures. Paul says to the elders on the beach, this is a beach setting, they're also outdoors. Paul is about to leave and go to Jerusalem and not see these men again. And he's giving them sort of their final warnings as a church. He says, and now, in Acts 20 verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained for his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all these, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, as we've heard from your word in the Psalms and in Ezekiel and now from Acts, please open our hearts to understand and believe and obey what you have written. Please sanctify our hearts in the truth. Draw us near to the Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. And we pray that you'd help us uh, in this act. We know that we depend on you to understand uh, your word. And Lord, I pray for strength for my own voice. And uh, in this environment, Lord, that your word will go out in strength and in victory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. He took three separate journeys as a missionary. This is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament and who grew up as a Jewish man. So he knew the Old Testament really well and he wrote most of the New Testament. Strong Bible guy. Okay, so he planted all these churches and he hung out with these churches for a number of years. And now he's come to the point where he has to say goodbye. And as we heard from our text, it's very sad. They don't want to see him go. To, to break off from a partner in the gospel is, is difficult if they get called on to a new city. And we understand that. So Paul is saying goodbye and he's giving his final instruction. I said I was going to do this in three parts. This is actually going to be the final sermon from this section. So I just it all hung well, really uh, hung really well together. So Paul is here giving his final 
not only his final warning to the church, but his final strategy. He doesn't just warn them and say, it's going to get really hard, watch out, good luck. He gives them a strategy for survival. He gives them a strategy for victory. And as I said last week, I think our church is in the, well, I know our church is in the exact moment where we need to hear this. We need these words. This is the stage that our church is at. Paul was with the Ephesians for about three years. We've been a church for about four years. This is literally the timing. This is the time that we need to hear this. And by God's grace, I, th I think we are right in uh, the place we need to be to hear it. These passages, <clears throat> I did not choose specifically so that I could honor or glorify elders. Because I, I love, some of you think Tim loves talking about elders. And I do. I think elders are very important, but I didn't choose these passages. We're just going through the book and we're dealing with each subject as it comes. But what this passage shows us is not how amazing elders are and how much attention we should pay to them. It shows us how much attention Jesus pays to his church. This is how Jesus cares for us. By giving us these warnings and raising up men who will take the arrows of confrontation when wolves come. So Christ cares for us very deeply in giving us elders. And I, I want to really emphasize that as we begin. If this is not your church, if you're visiting this morning and you're going to go on to another church, that's wonderful. Uh, I, I hope that this helps you examine your church to see whether or not it is a church that obeys and follows the pattern of Scripture. That's helpful. And if this is your church, Evergreen Chapel, uh, then it'll help you understand why we do what we do. It'll help you, Lord willing, understand why we gave this the attention that we did and made it the priority that we did, uh, even though some said it's a waste of time. And some left our church because they thought it was not the right approach. And that's okay. We've, we've, uh, we've decided that this is what God had for our church and it's been the ble biggest blessing. And I want to point your attention to something. Uh, and I said this last week, we announced our elders on the last Sunday before the COVID lockdown. You don't think that's God's timing for helping us navigate a really difficult situation? Absolutely it was. He was watching over us. And before I go any further, I just want to acknowledge one thing. Some of you may sit here this morning and think, what do elders have to do with my kids, my job, my marriage, whether good or bad, my hobbies, my struggles. What about COVID anxiety and the economics of that? What do elders have to do with that? Like, can't you speak on a topic that's relevant? That might go through your mind as we're going through this. And last week we looked at the concept of, of a building structure, how the foundation goes in first. I just want to let you know that in the time and place that we're at as a church, that would be like showing up on the job site as the framers are starting to lay out the bottom plates and get the walls up and saying, where can I wash my hands? The sinks will come. You spend time in the church. You, you give it the patience that God asks of us, which is your whole life. And God will reveal to you. He will shape your life. He will renew your mind as you spend your life in and with the church. I believe that very strongly. And this is for the church. This is for you. 
This is for your mind to be renewed and opened up to the wonders that God has given us. And so our goal at Evergreen Chapel, again, is not to make you, to give you a little tidbit of wisdom each week to say, well, this is a little trick. This is a little trick for you to deal with those problems. That's not how Christianity works. What we want to do is open the Bible and let it have authority over us because it's God's word. So we want to let it have authority and through giving the Bible and Christ his rightful place of authority, we will be blessed in our doing. We will grow in the strength. And we're going to see that right in our passage today. That we will be built up and we will gain the inheritance of, of, of all the saints. We will be with Christ in the end. And it's not a quick fix. So I just want to say that by way of introduction. Let's look at how Paul calls the elders to take responsibility. We looked last week at how the elders are the first line of defense. Well, we see in this passage that he calls them out into the spotlight and he says, now it's your turn. Verse 25, and now I know that none of you will see my face again. That's, that's what he says to the elders. He says, none of you among whom I have proclaimed the gospel, you'll, you won't see me again. I'm going. This is the end of our relationship as you have known it. We have to recognize that this church, Paul is the only connection that they've ever had to the gospel. Think about that. It wasn't like your favorite podcast gets canceled and you have to just go to a new one. This is Paul. This is the guy who brought them Christianity, who brought them their savior by way of witness and testimony. And he says, I'm leaving now. Can you imagine the stress of that church? Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? We can't do it without you, Paul. You, you're like, you're our guru. You are our pastor. Paul says it's not going to be like that anymore. You need to take charge now, elders. You need to take uh, the reins of this church. This is amazing because a lot of leaders that we think are great are actually control freaks. They actually never let go. Even when they leave, they're meddling, they're calling, they're texting, they're getting in your way. They want to give you, you know, responsibility, but they never let you take it. Paul is the opposite. He's like, I'm going and it's over. I'm done. Some of you might think, well, that's not very kind. But look what he left them. In verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I've told you everything. I've given you everything. You know the truth. You've been uh, preached to, you've been discipled, you know the gospel of Christ. And just before that in verse 26, and that's about the verse that <clears throat> Mikhail read for us, was that Paul is innocent of their blood. That's what he says. He literally says, like, I'm washing my hands of your spiritual condition now. Again, wow, this sounds like a very unkind pastor, doesn't it? To our ears. This is the pattern that Paul left for us in the scriptures. He said, I gave you the whole word of God. So if you blow it, it's on you. If you blow it, if you abandon God's word, if you go and ignore it and do your own thing, I can't be held responsible because I gave you the word. I gave you what you needed to obey and to follow. And that's, that's somewhat of a harsh word. 
We live in a time, again, if you go on Twitter or, or YouTube, there's all kinds of gurus who will help you through all types of situations, whether it's weight loss, gaining confidence in the workplace, becoming corporately savvy, uh, how to deal with your kids. These gurus, they want you to depend on them. They want you to need the next video that's coming out, to subscribe and to constantly feed off of their special wisdom. It's not like that in the church. You don't need me. If I and all the elders got into a boat and sank to the bottom of the river here, Christ would not suffer loss. You might be sad, my kids might be sad, but you don't need my special insight to the scriptures. You don't need a special guru or a priest to help you understand who God is. If you have the word of God, you have access to the mind of God. Now that's a two-edged sword because it's a blessing, but it also holds each of one of us responsible. When you know the word, when you have it in your heart, when you've heard it in your mind, you are responsible. And I want to challenge you, I want to ask you this morning, have you been discipled? Have you heard the word of God? And so far you're ignoring it and things aren't going well for you, whether it's relationships or habits in your home or whatever it is. And what do you, what, what's your temptation? Do you want to blame the church? Do you want to blame your pastor? Do you want to blame your mentor who let you down? Paul is saying to the elders here, if you know the word of God, it's on you to follow and obey. It's on you. Your blood is on your own heads. So Paul really detaches himself. And again, it's not that he doesn't care. It's that he's done his part. He's given them the full counsel of God's word. He didn't hide the embarrassing stuff. He didn't tuck away the stuff that wouldn't be popular. He said, I told you everything. And now what is that counsel? I gave you, I held back the, nothing. I gave you the full counsel of God. What is that counsel? Well, we know that to be the word of God. We know that to be the scriptures. Paul hadn't written all of the scriptures yet. So his preaching in some senses was delivering God's word. But 2 Timothy 3.6, which Paul wrote to a pastor who would end up in this town in Ephesus. He wrote these words that all scripture is inspired and useful that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. In other words, if you have the scriptures, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Your church has everything it needs. But it's like a sword. If you keep it in the sheath, it's not going to do anything. You've got to pull it out. Okay, sometimes it's threatening, sometimes it's comforting, but the word of God has what we need to walk the Christian life. Now, he calls them to responsibility, I said. How does Paul make this responsibility manifest? What constitutes taking responsibility in the church? Elders, this is for you. Men, if you want to become an elder, this is for you. How is that responsibility manifest? Pay attention, verse 28. That's what taking responsibility means in the church. Pay attention. Be watchful. In three different places in this text, Paul says, be careful, pay careful attention, and keep a close watch. 
Have your eyes about you among the congregation. Keep a close watch on God's people. Again, this verse 28 is the reason why he holds this meeting. Pay attention. Again, in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In other words, don't think that because you're a preacher, you can hide behind a veil of sort of surface morality and live a wicked life in private. That's not okay. That will tear apart you. That will tear apart the local church. Pastors who engage in personal immorality and leave the faith do massive damage on churches. But he also says keep a close watch on the teaching. Be careful with what you say from the scriptures. Make sure you're talking about what God has talked about. Make sure you're preaching the word of God. Give the congregation your attention, knowing the cost that God paid for that congregation. Listen to this. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the church to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church is not a social group. It's not a fun way to spend an hour in the park in the morning. You can do this anywhere, anytime. The church which was purchased at a high cost. God sent his own son to pay for, to ransom the church. And the cost of that church was his own blood. There was no amount of money that could have redeemed us. There was no amount of kingdom exchange that could have saved us and redeemed us. Christ bled his own blood to the point of death. That our sins might be cleansed. That we could be redeemed. The church is a very expensive group of people. Infinitely expensive to God. So he says to the elders, you better pay attention. If you are in the church of God, and, and I say this, I pray that would encourage you to draw nearer to God's church in Christ, whether that's here or among another flock. God cares for you so much that he warns your elders. I paid for this church with my own son's blood. If you are an elder who thinks you can mess around with the bride of Christ, you will be judged. I pray that's a comfort to you. When you draw into God's church, God cares for you so deeply, so marvelously, that he does not deal lightly with elders who would tinker or experiment or go some other way with the church. That's what that warning is about. Pay attention because of the great cost of the church. Now, elders will always fall short of where we ought to be. I do want to also make that caveat. That we are a work of God's grace as well. We are growing in what it means to do this. And we do thank you for your grace in that. But it's a serious business taking care of the church. And ultimately Christ is doing it. And I want to say if you're not an elder. Or if this doesn't apply to you directly in terms of whether or not you'll become one. That there is nothing worth doing that doesn't come at a high cost. We need to be reminded of that in our day and age anyway, right? 
If you're going to raise your kids in the, in the faith of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be faithful to God at your workplace, if you're going to be truthful in your relationships, anything worth doing that's lasting is going to be costly to you. And Christ is the ultimate example of that. Christ paid for a church with his own life, but in return, he gets a bride who will praise him and adore him forever. Isn't that amazing? God's math is perfect math. So be faithful to him, even if it's costly to you. Now, we have to recognize that wolves are going to test your resolve to do this. We don't get to go out and play. And then we sang about a meadow in the woodlands this morning. The Christian life is not like going out into a perfect meadow where the grass is green and there's always enough shade and there's no threats. There's no obstacles. Christian life is not like that. If anyone promises you that, that following Christ is like finally your problems are solved, that's not what it's about. In fact, if you belong to the church, you are signing up. You ever sing that song, I'm in the Lord's army? I will never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, or fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. It's not a light thing to be part of the church. Again, there's great comfort and protection if you belong to the church, but there's great risk. There's great risk. We don't just do this again because it's so convenient and there's never any problems. We've talked about this before, but anywhere where Jesus sows seed, Satan sows his own seed. There's a parable in Matthew 13 where the farmer goes out and he sows seed, and then he goes to bed happy with his work. And then in the nighttime, the enemy of that farmer comes and sows weeds. Puts out weeds. So that when the crop comes up, the weeds are almost entangled with the good crop. That's a mess if you're a farmer. That's a mess if you're an elder. There are false Christians among the church. People who proclaim Christ who aren't. That's a difficult scenario. We don't know the heart. We don't know who's who. And that's why in that parable it says, don't go ripping out the things that you think are weeds because you might be grabbing a Christian and throwing them out of the church, not recognizing that they're just not mature yet. So be careful. Wow, being an elder is a minefield. It's difficult. So Paul says to the elders, Satan is going to roll back your progress. He's going to fight you on this front. You guys are responsible for the church. Satan's going to come and he's going to test you directly. Men, this is true of your families. If you want to raise your family and your children in the Lord, you're going to come and have opposition. Satan is going to try to roll back your progress. He's going to try to discourage you. It's going to seem like the hardest thing in the world to raise your kids in the Lord. But don't quit. You will be tested when you come to following Christ. And in the church specifically here, wolves are going to test the elders. The church, in other words, is going to be contested. It's contested battleground. Although the victory, the war is over, the war is won, there are battlegrounds everywhere for the church. Satan is still contesting his authority over the church. And it's, he's going to test the ones who have been put as watchmen over the church. He's going to test them. 
The wolf and sheep imagery is very important. Jesus used it in John 10. And remember, he said that if, if you have a hired hand, in other words, if you have a lousy elder who's only in it for the money or the title, if he sees a wolf coming, he's going to run. He's going to hop the fence and run and let the wolf tear apart the flock. So this wolf and sheep imagery is very important. Wolf and shepherd imagery. These wolves are going to come and they're not going to spare the flock, Paul says. I think that's down in verse... Uh, 29 they will come in among you not sparing the flock in other words you have been charged with taking care of them the biggest threat to those sheep are wolves and you are supposed to stand between the sheep and the wolves you let the wolves come and get you first is what Paul is saying to the elders now listen to this I want you to pay attention to this if you've been zoning out tune in right here these wolves will look like pastors. That's in our text. It says they, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves, men will rise up. Did you hear that? Wolves don't come in with sharp teeth. It's not like Red Riding Hood where she's just too clueless to recognize it. Wolves come in looking like pastors from among your own selves. Wolves will, men will arise up. They'll look like pastors. This is why churches need to be warned. This is why elders need to pay careful attention. Because they look just like pastors. They look like they're good at leading Bible studies. What else do they do? They sound like pastors. They will arise from your own selves, speaking twisted things. They will be preachers. They will lead Bible studies. They will have podcasts, YouTube channels. They'll be all over. They'll be preaching. They will appear as servants of God. Wolves don't come in and say, I don't think the church is a good idea. Let's go do something else. Because nobody would believe them. Wolves come in and they want to hijack the vehicle. They want to push you out and they want to drive the bus. That's what wolves do. They want the bus full of sheep and they want to grab the elders and throw them out and they want the sheep not to notice the difference. That's how the church goes sideways. That's how the church walks away from Christ without even realizing it. Because the scriptures are twisted. They don't start with, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't start with brand new teaching. They don't say, oh, I've got a, you know, I've got my own word from God. Maybe they do, but very often they'll open a Bible. Just because you see somebody open a Bible doesn't mean anything. You could be deceived just as quickly as you're being built up. Again, this is not, I'm not trying to scaremonger. I'm trying to say this is what happens in the church. And by God's grace, we'll be protected. We, we won't let wolves in. Here's the other thing. <clears throat> wolves have an easier time speaking their twisted stuff if the shepherds are not teaching the Bible anyway. So I pray that as you've been hearing the Word of God for these last three, four years, 
that if a wolf came around and started talking to you about the scriptures, if it was twisted, your mind would like red flags and bells going off saying, this is not what we've heard. May God's word always have authority and truthfulness in our hearts. They want to be trusted. They want to be trusted and they'll start with the things that are trustworthy to you, which is the church and the scriptures. There's many places in scripture, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to read them all. But 2 Timothy 4.3, Romans 16.17, 2 Peter 3.16, 2 Corinthians 11.15, 1 Timothy 4, Galatians 1, 1 Timothy 6, and 1 John 2 all talk about false teachers. It's not just some crankpot thing Paul's spouting off. This is a major part of church ministry is maintaining a watchfulness about these false teachers. A faithful pastor uses God's revelation. A wolf will take God's revelation and twist it. They both start in the same place. They both start with the word of God. One tells you what it really says and the other twists it. That's a subtle difference. It's a subtle difference. So again, pray for your elders that we would be discerning and keep a close watch. That is, that we would combat this with regular, reliable, scriptural preaching and an exhortation to obey. Which means we don't want to just preach to you things that will sit in your head. We want to exhort you in obedience to those things because as you live out the truth that you've heard, it will become harder to knock you from that truth. Your physical activity mirrors your spiritual reality. So if your life is far from the truths that you know, you will be more easily deceived. Because people will come along and say, look, the way you're living, you know, God, that's really actually okay. And, and, and we will lead with our physical activity. So many people leave the faith with their feet before they do with their mind. They'll live in sin, they'll, they'll walk away from fellowship, they'll dabble in darkness, they'll entertain you know, wickedness in their heart and on their TVs, and then they'll find a year, two, three years, ten years later, they'll say, I don't know if I believe the Bible anymore. Well, no kidding. So we want to exhort you not only in truthful doctrine, but in truthful practice. Practice is very important. Now, this also demands that we would publicly rebuke and correct those in error. Uh, Titus 1.9 says that. You've got to correct people too. You can't just let this bad teaching sit around, you know, like a, I don't know, like something that lingers around that you want to go. You've got to deal with it. You've got to push it out the doors. Like tea, like tea scooping in the teapot. Now, does this put our church in a higher state of visibility? Yes. Does this expose the elders to attack or to greater scrutiny by calling out falsehood? Yes, it does. That's why many don't do it. There's a story about Napoleon while he was still an artillery officer. During one of his sieges, he built a battery on one of the ships that was in such an exposed position that he was told he would never find anybody to ever 
sit in this position to fire the cannon. But it was a very strategic location where he could get a better angle on the enemy. And Napoleon had a surefire way, an instinct, to overcome this problem. He put up a sign at this battery that said, the battery of men without fear. And he never had a problem keeping that seat filled. It's the battery of men without fear. The church is not a place for the faint-hearted, especially those who would stand for the truth of God. And so his final exhortation, and we close with this idea, is to be alert. Because victory will come. A lot of darkness in this message, I recognize. A lot of threat. Maybe even a lot of worry that has been spawned in your heart. But that's not how this ends. There's a sun that creeps out over the horizon of this text. Listen to it. He says, be alert with personal conviction because victory will come. He says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Care for the church of God with your own heart. It's not a mere academic exercise. There's... There's emotion and there's personality and there's humanity involved in this endeavor. Elders are to put their whole selves into the guarding of the church such that they would weep over those who have strayed, that they would plead with those to stay in the faith. Keep these things in focus. What he says is that the tools are available. You don't have to worry that this is going to overcome you guys. This, elders, you don't have to worry that the, the flood is going to wash you away. He says, therefore, I commend you to God. This is Paul saying, you don't need me. Elders are a tool that God uses in the life of the church, but not any one elder is indispensable. He says, I commend you to God. God is the one who keeps watch of your souls. Even if your elders fail you, God has not failed you. God has not left you alone. He cares for you more than any elder could. The tools are there. He says, listen to this, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That word there is the word proclamation. It's not the text in the pages, although we proclaim the text. He says, I commend you to proclaim the word. That's why we do this. That's why we don't do exclusively Zoom. This is why we will not cancel our services in the future because it's the proclamation that Paul says you need to use. This is how God is going to care for his church. I may be a lousy guy and not that helpful to you, but if you come and sit under the word of God, he will minister to you through me, even though I'm lousy. He cares for you through the proclamation of the word. So again, I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I don't know where we're going to meet when it gets cold. We'll figure that out. But make it a priority in your heart that God is caring for you in the coming together of the church. You're not doing it for me, for the elders. I've preached to two people before. I don't care. But God cares for you and, and builds you up in the preaching of the word.
There's two ways it does this. It builds you up and it gives you an inheritance. That's in our text. I admonish you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. When you are working on something where the conditions are adverse, the way to preserve it is to continue working on it. That's what build you up means. So even though you got saved when you received Jesus and your heart was renewed, you still need to be built up. And again, think of the house analogy. My house is 120 years old. If the builder said in 1900 and everybody ever since, well, the house is done now, we never have to do anything again. That house would have collapsed a long time ago. But they re-chinked the foundation and we put new roofs on and we fix things inside the house to keep it the way it is. So the word of God is doing maintenance on you. We're all decaying. We're all forgetful. Our minds forget things. So the word that's proclaimed is every single week it's God, you know, patching up a hole in the drywall, putting on some paint. Sometimes he's tearing out a kitchen. That's painful. But God is working on you. He's working on us, the house of God, together. He is the architect who keeps working for your good. So let him do that. Let him do that. And then finally, it gives us the inheritance. That's the guarantee, my friends. If you belong to Christ, no wolf, no lousy elder, no mix-up in your church, no church split can ever separate you from Christ. Please go home hearing me say that. Jesus said in John 6, Everyone that the Father gives me, I will lose none. I will lose none. Romans chapter 8 says, I am convinced, written by the same author, I am convinced that neither height nor depth, nor powers nor principalities, nor life nor death nor any other created thing will ever separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus to us. You will never be separated from Christ, no matter what happens in your church life. Some of us need to be reminded of that. We've been serving God and something happened at church where everyone turned on us or our church blew up or one of the elders was in scandal. God has not forgotten about you. So, so, go, so go on, find a new church, whatever that is. I'm not saying don't leave here. But continue on. God has not forgotten about you. Christ is still your great shepherd. And through these things, you will receive your inheritance. You will come to what God has promised his people. James says, He who has stood the test will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so we conclude with these final verses where Paul says, I coveted no one's gold or silver. I worked with my own hands for my own needs. I didn't do this for the money. Leading a church, being an elder, serving each other is not for personal gain. Paul says, I showed that to you. I never asked you for money. And whatever it takes to bring you the word, I will continue preaching. And the men here will continue preaching. We pray that you continue to give financially to this church so that God can expand our ministry. But that's not why I'm a pastor. That's not why I do this. I don't care 
for the money. I care to feed my family, that's important, but we do this, as Christ said, it's better to give than to receive. And if all I do, all I have, if all I have time for is to preach every Sunday morning and I have to go back to work full time, that's what I'll do because you need the word of God and we all do. And so I pray that we follow Paul's pattern that it's not about getting, it's about giving. That's what the biblical church is supposed to look like. Giving to one another, giving to others, uh, caring for one another, and to care for the weak and those in need. If you are weak, if you are in need, the church is the place where you should find help. You shouldn't be pushed off to the corner. Let your needs be made known. The church is here to care for you, and the elders, I pray, are watching over that to see that that happens. And this is how Paul finishes his third missionary journey. So it's a great word to us. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll sing a final hymn.